they're going through Lewisburg and went right past 56. Um, it's a hard one, you know. You can't. We gave CVS as a landmarker, and <laughs> if you notice the title of the sermon this morning, and in your bulletin is is SOG, and that's to pique your interest. Language is a powerful tool. Speech is is a powerful gift from God. It can be used for bad purposes, and it can be used for for good. Now, there's things that uh, we like to be called. Uh, you know, one, one thing that we focused on that Missy and I just went through was naming our child. We, as parents, we all get the opportunity to name our children. And that can be a joyous time, or it can be a, a time of contention between you and your spouse. Maybe. <laughs> it's not supposed to be that way. <laughs> But when Miss and I, we didn't know what we were having. We didn't know if we were having a girl or a boy, so we had to find a boy first name and middle name and a girl first name and middle name. We had a girl first name and middle name. That was the easy part. We actually had a few of them in the bank still. Uh, but we didn't have a boy middle, first name and middle name. Not even when we were at the hospital. We couldn't agree on something. But I know that, and you know, if I say Emerson, our daughter, you know who I'm referring to. That's what we chose to call her. She's the only Emerson here, I believe. Uh, and so you know who I'm referring to. If I say Missy, you know it can only be one of two people in this church. My Missy or, or Missy King. Uh, and sometimes Missy might answer to that too. <laughs> we kind of blend those together. Uh, but our names uh, refer to us in a certain way, and we answer when we hear our name. Even if it's not, my name is one of the most common names in America, Mike. So whenever I hear it anywhere, uh, I turn my head. Um, but there's things that we don't like to be called as well. You know, there's things that we like to be called, like some of us want to be known as uh, a, a hard worker. Some of us want to be known as uh, a good husband, a good father, a loving mother, um, intelligent, attractive. You know, those things that our society values and teaches us we need to have. Uh, but then there's bad things that we don't want to be called. Uh, you don't want to be called stupid. We teach our children not to use that word. Uh, you, we can throw in a whole bunch of stuff where language is used, used for bad purposes. The scripture we're dealing with this morning tells us as Christians what we should want to be called. What our desire should be for our calling. And that is a son of God. We should, be want, we should want to be called sons of God. So we're going to talk about what that means this morning. The scripture, if you look at it, Matthew 5, verse 9, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. This is the entrance, if you will, into the Sermon on the Mount. This is right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He has just gone through his temptation in chapter 4. And in chapter 4, he also calls his first disciples. And then you see him beginning his ministry. He, people are coming to him in droves. And he's healing them. He's healing their sicknesses. He's healing their, their ailments. And then he goes into the Sermon on the Mount. And what's important for this, for these Beatitudes, we're going to talk about that in a second. What's important for this is, this is in the context of discipleship. He's just called his disciples, and that's who he's talking to here. He's talking to a multitude here of crowds. He's saying, if you are going to be my disciple, this is how you're going to be. Okay, Keep that in mind as we go through this this morning. So each of these Beatitudes 
starts with the term blessed. Blessed be the pure in heart. Blessed be the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Uh, and then he tacks on a reward. For they shall inherit the earth. They shall be called sons of God. Uh, and so forth. Blessedness here, uh, we need to remember, does not, does not refer to... It's sometimes translated in your scriptures as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. Uh, or happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's... That's a poor translation because our, our, our um, understanding of happiness is, is skewed by our culture. We think happiness is a subjective state of mind. You know, I can be happy with, um, I can be happy with Carolina Tar Heels winning the championship. I see why, or I can be happy with Duke winning it. Uh, or not happy. And that changes per person. This isn't, this isn't that type. It's not something that changes. So when he says blessedness here, he's referring to a state of being, not a feeling, not, a, not an emotion, but a state of being. And what he's referring to here is a, is a life of righteousness, a life that shows you are a disciple of Christ. So when he says blessed are the peacemakers, they shall inherit, or for they shall be called sons of God, he's saying a disciple of Christ is this way, and his blessed is because of this life of righteousness. Okay? Uh, so, all of these beatitudes are, are outlining what our attitude should be as a disciple of Christ. Let me, uh, let me show you an image on the screen. When I, say, when I say peace or peacemakers, these are images of, of peace in our lifetime. Of things that might come to our minds that you know we might conjure up we that when i say peace it might evoke certain images in your mind if you look at look at the screen here that top left one is uh tiananmen square you guys might remember that in 1989 they had this huge massacre in tiananmen square and you see a single man standing in front of a train of tanks stopping them go over to the bottom left here also 1989, many of you, I'm sure, saw this happen on the news. I remember seeing it growing up. Uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. Here you have people climbing the walls, scaling it. You have two guys with sledgehammers knocking down the wall. All over the wall you see different terms, uh, which is interesting on the Berlin Wall. You see graffiti painted and love and uh, different terms like that. Uh, so, these guys are now tearing down the wall because it didn't signify those things. It, it divided. It created hostility. So, they're tearing it down. Top right, we have, I'm sure you guys recognize that. That happened in, I believe, 2003, uh, the fall of the Saddam Hussein statue in Iraq. Um, you see all of the, underneath there, uh, all of the Iraqis tearing down the statue. And that was signifying that his regime is over. The dictatorship is over. Peace, uh, peace now prevails, right? Uh, bottom right here, that did not happen in my lifetime. This is a peace symbol with Woodstock images in it. Uh, some of you guys might remember that. Uh, Woodstock being a festival, rock festival, free love, peace, happened in 1969 uh, outside of Woodstock, New York. So we have a peace symbol there. And then you have also a white dove in there. That might 
come to our minds when we think of peace or a white flag. Uh, and then you have angels' wings, and there's a little, there's a little cross in there. Uh, but of all those images of peace, what stands out about those is that, uh, and you can, yeah, you can take it off now. Uh, what, what, uh, what stands out about those is those are, those are images of man-made peace. Those are images of, uh, of us trying to make peace on our own by tearing down a statue, by tearing down a wall, by uh, standing in front of a tank, or by going to a rock concert and expressing our love, or by, by doing this. And you still see this everywhere. Uh, or by us saying something. You know, growing up in, in the 90s, the big, the big saying was uh, peace in the Middle East. Uh, what are we still saying in this millennium? Peace in the Middle East. What did we say 100 years ago? Same thing. Because we're still trying to make our own peace here. And it's not working. And what you notice about man-made peace is it lasts for a short time, and then it dissipates. It's temporary. It goes away. And what he's calling us to here is not a temporary peace. Not a man-made peace, but an eternal peace. A divine peace. A peace that only comes from God. So when he says here, blessed are the peacemakers, those images might come in our minds. But are they really making peace? Are they really making it? You know, when you, you think about, most every sane person wants peace. Most every sane person desires peace in this world. That there would be no more wars, no more fighting, no more bloodshed, uh, no more tears, no more any of those things. Most every person wants that, or loves that, or desires that, but how many of us are making that happen? How many of us are making peace? And that's rare. Not many of us do that. And Jesus' concern here, this word here for peacemaker, uh, is literally peacemaker. It's one who is doing, and it's an action here. One who's actually doing something to make peace. And we're going to talk about what that is. So Jesus isn't concerned here with those who are just peaceful. He's, he's talking to those who are trying to make peace happen. Okay? This, this verse often gets mistranslated or mis, uh, misinterpreted because we think that he's just talking about being peaceful. You know, and the pacifists take this verse and they run with it. They say, you know, Jesus says here we're supposed to be peacemakers, so that means... No guns, no, uh, no fighting, we can't serve in the military, no soldiers, no war. So we shouldn't be involved in those things. Um, but that's not what the verse is talking about. It's not talking about no guns. I figured I'd hear some amens on that one. Um, so it's not talking about no guns. It's not talking about being, being a pacifist. It's talking about being proactive and actually doing something and making peace. So... Uh, when he, when, he says, uh, when he says here to be a peacemaker, how do we do that? How did that, that passage that I read this morning tells us how we do that? How did Jesus do it? Well, he did it by the blood of the cross. He did it by dying, which is paradoxical. You know, we think he shed blood in order to make peace. Those, those two things don't really go together. But Jesus gave up his life that he would make peace between us and God and between us and our fellow man. 
In Ephesians, that, that pastor read this morning, Ephesians 2, 15-17 says that. Also, let me read to you Colossians 1, 20. Colossians 1.20 says this, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Jesus is our model for peacemaking here. We can look at those guys on the image. Uh, the guys knocking down the Berlin Wall, the guy standing in front of the tank. Those are, those are good people to, to emulate, maybe. But Jesus is the model that we want to emulate as we, as we make peace in this world. Okay? He is the one who gave his life for us by the blood of his cross to make peace between God and man and between us and our fellow man. So let's look at the reward. He says, For they shall, for they shall be called sons of God. Notice there, he doesn't say, for they shall become sons of God. He doesn't say, if you make peace, you will become a son of God. It's not the way to salvation. He says, if you are a son of God, you will be a peacemaker. He says, if you, you are a peacemaker, that's what you'll be called. And that's what we should desire, to be called a son of God. So, let me make that clear again. Being a peacemaker, one who makes peace, doesn't make us a son of God. It's if we're a son of God, we are a peacemaker. Alright? So, when he says here that we're called sons of God, this is, this is unique in this context, because this is right at the beginning of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5. And at the beginning of Matthew, he has a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. What the genealogy does is it lists uh, father to son all the way from Abraham. Starting with Abraham being the father of Isaac. All the way down, Jacob. All the way down through Judah and David and Solomon. and All the way to Jesus Christ. So it lists father, son, father, son, father, son. Then you go into chapter 2 and the focus is on Jesus Christ's birth. And what Herod does, because Jesus is born, and he's to be the king, he starts killing all the firstborn sons. All the male children, he starts killing. Um, and the prophecy, there's a prophecy in chapter 2 where, where, where uh, Matthew says this was written, because what happens is Jesus and his family they flee to Egypt, and they have to come back eventually. But he says, this prophecy was done so this prophecy would be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my sons. We have a son emphasis in chapter 2. Going to chapter 3, we have the baptism of Christ Jesus. Do you guys remember what, what uh, God says to Jesus at his baptism? He says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then we go into chapter 4, and we have the temptation of Christ. Well, when, when Satan approaches Christ here, he says to him, If you're the Son of God... Turn these, turn these stones into bread. If you're the Son of God, cast yourself off this pinnacle of the temple, and the angels will save you. If you're the Son of God, do this. And Jesus responds to him and says, and he gives him scripture. The first one, he says, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
And then the second one, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Uh, and he, he combats him with scripture, and then Satan starts combating him with scripture. And they go, they go back and forth, and Jesus is saying, you don't understand what this means to be the Son of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because here we have another emphasis. We shall be called sons of God. So, what a son does here, think about this, those of you who have sons, uh, a son shares the characteristics of the father. Whether you want him to or, or not, or whether the son wants to or not, there's certain things that I do, I'm like, man, it's just like my dad. Uh, you know, I, he did those things when I grew up, and I was like, I'm never, I'm not going to do those things. Well, now that I'm almost 30, I'm doing those same things that he does. And those are good things, and there's bad things, right? Uh, I think I've inherited my dad's road rage. Um, I think maybe all men, all men have that. I'm not sure. Uh, my dad's quick temper, I definitely have. And that's something that I have to battle with constantly every day. You might think, oh, you have a quick temper. I see if you're shaking your heads. Um, and it's, it's really testing me working with, with these youth over here. Uh, <laughs> Humanity and all of them together. And, but that's something I have to battle with every day. But I also have good characteristics from my father. Uh, I have um, his congenial personality. My dad can just go up to somebody and talk to anybody in a store. Uh, I remember one time in... Uh, we were in a random city, random location, going to this random mattress store. He doesn't even need a mattress, but we're just killing time before a wedding. Goes in there, and he's like best friends with the mattress salesman. There's, I, I went and looked at something else. Come back, my dad's like reclining on the, one of the mattresses with this guy, and they're just talking. Not even about mattresses, just talking. Uh, and my dad's like that. He can just talk to anybody and, and be friendly with anybody. Um, so I've inherited that from him. But, so when it talks here about being sons of God, it's not just saying, though, that we're going to be imitators of God. It's not just saying that, uh, you know, we might share some of the attributes of God. It's saying that we will be conformed to His image. We see that all throughout the New Testament. Confirmation to the image of Christ. That, the, that in our salvation, the process of our discipleship, of our Christian faith, is one of renewing. Our minds are being renewed, as it says in Romans chapter 12. Uh, our hearts are being transformed. They're not the same as they were. They're being changed. Second uh, Corinthians says this, from one glory to another, the ultimate glory. And this is a process that we should each go through. We're becoming more and more like God like Jesus Christ, like a son of God. So it's more than just imitating. Remember, we have the spirit of Christ that dwells within us. Ephesians chapter 1 makes that clear, that the spirit of God dwells in us. He says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are his temple. When he says we're his temple, it's not saying we're, we're this building where where um, we come to worship. It's saying that we are the Holy of Holies. That's what the word is. We're the Holy of Holies where only God's presence resides. And that's what we have with us. And that's what we are to be constantly transforming ourselves towards. And the Spirit works in us to do that. Okay? Um, So, the good thing about being a son of God is we can't inherit any bad characteristics. 
So like I listed a couple of bad characteristics that I got from my father, and I'm sure you can think of some that you got from your father. But when we're, when we're trying to consciously, intentionally be a son of God, there's no way we can inherit any bad characteristics. Because God doesn't have any. God is all good, all powerful, loving. He is love, the scriptures say. Gracious, merciful. God is just. God is holy. God has anger, but it's righteous anger. Uh, we can go on and list so many attributes of God. Those are the ones that should be indicative in our lives as we are formed in our Christian faith. So he says here, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, there's this book that's been on the, the, New, the New York Times bestseller list for the last, I don't know how many weeks, it's been out a couple months, called, called Son of Hamas. If you don't know what Hamas is, it is a paramilitary, political, Palestinian organization in the West Bank, in the Gaza Strip, uh, in the Middle East where Israel is. It is, in their charter, they have sworn to see to the end of the destruction of the nation of Israel. They have, so it's a terrorist organization. Uh, Hamas is responsible for the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives. Just random bombings, random shootings. Um, And when Jews are involved, it's that's what they want. They want to kill off Israel. Uh, Hamas stands for, it's actually an acronym, for Islamic Resistance Organization. Um, and it's funny because Hamas in Hebrew, which is what Israelis speak, uh, means violence. It doesn't mean that in, in Arabic, but it means that in Hebrew, which is uh, an interesting coincidence. Uh, so Hamas is, is this huge organization. Well, this book, Son of Hamas, is written by this guy named Masab Hassan Youssef. And he is the son, it's called Son of Hamas, because his father uh, was one of the founding members of Hamas back in, I don't know, 30, 40 years ago, whenever it, it, it got together. His father is an, is an imam, which is like a, a pastor uh, in the Muslim faith. And his father is one of the founding members of Hamas. So this guy, uh, Masab Hassan, he grew up in Palestine. And if you don't know anything about the history of of, uh, Palestine, the West Bank, of Israel, that land, ever since the scriptures, I'm sure you're familiar with that history, Israel was supposed to go in, kick everyone out of the land, kill everybody off, and they didn't do it. And that's why we have all this... Up until today, there's never been peace there. The land has exchanged hands so many times. After World War II, 1948, uh, they established the nation of Israel. Uh, there was a treaty made, and they said, nation of Israel, you can move, all the Jews spread around the world can move back to Israel, and it could be a safe haven for them. Problem was, the Palestinians were there. They kicked them out and put the Israelis there. Palestinians, they get relegated to the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. And they're not, they're not happy about it. So that's why Hamas came about. Well, this, this guy, Masab Hassan, he's grown up in this. His father is 
like I said, he's a leader in the group. Uh, he is promoting whatever Hamas promotes. And he says, to, he says in the book, he says, my father's not a violent man. He says he's a peaceful man. He's taught us to be to obey uh, all the truths in all religions, to look for truth everywhere, to be a follower of God and to be peaceful and to be submissive. Because Islam also means, Islam, that word means that. It means submission. Uh, and it comes from the word shalom, which means peace. So his father is teaching that. But his father also turns kind of a blind eye to what Hamas does, the violence they do. So he says in the book, all of my followers have actively pursuing bombings and those, and those things, he's a leader in the, in the organization. He's not saying anything against those things. Uh, the thing about um, Hamas is, uh, like I said, that's, that's what it's all about. Terrorism, violence, bloodshed. So that is what this guy is. When he says he's a son of Hamas, he's saying, I'm a son of violence. I'm a son of terrorism. I'm a son of bloodshed. I've grown up in it. He talks about in the book how when he's a teenager, he's carrying around uh, an AK-47. They're just, that's the lifestyle they've grown up in. They, growing up, they threw rocks at the tanks all the time. Uh, they threw Molotov cocktails at random cars. Uh, that's just what, what they grew up in. And he says, that's what I'm a son of. That's what I've grown up in. But the book is about him not being a product of that. The book is about him growing up in that, but being changed uh, and taking a different road. Uh, in the book, he, he gets thrown in prison for uh, terrorist activities, for running guns or drugs. I can't remember which one of those. He gets thrown in prison for that. And he ends up becoming a, a double agent because he's high up in Hamas at this point because his father's a leader. So he's his father's right-hand man in Hamas. So he knows everything that goes on. Uh, but when he's in prison, he sees his fellow Palestinians treating other Palestinians horribly. Even worse than, than they treat the Jews. And he's like, That's, that doesn't really coincide with my faith. You know, he's a devout Muslim. He prays five times a day. He goes to the mosque. He observes Ramadan. All these things that go along with Islam. Uh, that his father has taught him, but he sees that being acted out in life, acted out in life, and he says that doesn't that doesn't go along with what I've been taught. And there's a problem with that. There's a problem with that. And he says, and he starts having these questions. Well, what should I do? Well, he meets this Israeli agent, and he becomes a double agent for the Israelis because he's saying what Hamas is doing is wrong. He doesn't know why really. He says, I don't want to be a part of that life. And he starts informing to the Israelis, their sworn enemies, about uh, Hamas and their activities. And in doing so, he saved hundreds of thousands of lives. He said, they're going to assassinate... Uh, if you guys remember the assassination attempt on Yitzhak Rabin uh, back in, in the 90s, he was involved in, in thwarting that and uh, doing the whole thing and making it not happen. And he saves so many people from bombs and all this stuff. Well, one day he's, in, he's outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, and he's just standing there and, and he's walking away and he's, uh, British, a British guy comes up to him and says, Hey, you want to come to a Bible study? And he's like, 
I'm Muslim. <laughs> but he's like, yeah, well, I guess. You know, he, he thought, well, my father taught me to find truth in all religions. So, yeah, I'll go. So he goes to the Bible study, and he ends up getting saved at this Bible study outside of Jerusalem through a British missionary. And he, now he's a Christian. He's still a double agent, and now this gives him really a reason to stop this violence and bloodshed. Uh, and he thinks he's doing great things. Like I said, he's saved so many different lives. He's, he's thwarted assassination attempts. He's stopped bombings. And he's like, yeah, I'm making peace. I'm doing so much for my faith now, my Christian faith. God is, God, this is what God wants, right? He wants there to be no more bloodshed, no more violence. And he's doing this for years and years. And guess what? Like I said earlier, peace in the Middle East in the 90s, we're still looking for peace. We looked for peace 100 years ago, and 100 years from now, we'll still be looking for peace. And he realizes, he, he comes to that realization in the book, and he says, you know, the only thing that is going to make peace is the gospel. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that made peace with me, he says. And that's the only thing that's going to make peace with these. It's not going to matter if I stop this many bombing attempts. And this is the reason he writes the book. Uh, he says, it's not going to matter why I stop all these bombing attempts because people are still going to die. What matters is the gospel. And so that's why he ends up fleeing from his country. He's an American now. And he writes this book for that purpose. Because he's saying that the gospel is the only thing that's going to transform hearts. We can take care of the symptoms. We can take care of uh, the symptoms of the problem. But it's the root that needs to be changed, that needs to be transformed. And he realizes that as a Muslim turned Christian. And in writing this book, he's put himself out there. I mean, right when, right when he wrote this, uh, the Muslim world found out and uh, they said, they issued what's called a fatwa, which is issued from an, an imam in the Muslim faith that says, he's, it's a, he's a marked man. He's going to die. If he ever steps foot in any Arab country, He'll be dead. Uh, the only place he feels safe is here in America. He says uh, he doesn't think anyone. Will, he, he says they won't. Hamas won't come and get him here. Um, uh, so he's here, and actually, we were trying to deport him for for those things. Even though he's been been helping, he's worked with the U.S. government too. But uh, the Homeland Security dropped their case against him this summer, so he's he's safe in America. But he realizes that the gospel is the only means of making peace. Uh, Thomas Merton, who is a Catholic theologian and scholar in the 20th century, he said that, he has this quote, he says, we are not at peace with ourselves or with others because we're not at peace with ourselves. And we're not at peace with ourselves because we're not at peace with God. So it's only peace in Jesus Christ through the gospel in God that we can even try to be peacemakers, even enact peace with others and with ourselves. And I know you're thinking, probably, wow, my God, that's nothing new to me. I've heard that all my life. You know, I've grown up in church, uh, and I've heard that the gospel is, is the, only, the only way to salvation. I've heard the gospel is the only way to make peace, and yeah, I believe that. What, what's the big deal? Well, how many of you are actually making peace? You know, we talked about it at the beginning. We can desire it all we want. We can say we love the gospel. We desire the gospel to be spread. 
We desire people to be saved. But how many of us are doing it? Are doing anything about it here in this community in White Level, Castalia, uh, Franklin County, Lewisburg, North Carolina? And we're, if you really look at your lives, we're not doing a whole lot. We do a lot of programs at church. We do a lot of uh, neat activities with the youth. But how many of those activities are gospel-centered? And this is exactly what, what uh, Pastor Corey talked about last, or I guess two Sundays ago, when he said, these are our core values, and one of those is gospel presence. And we want to be a gospel presence beginning here in this community. Well, we have to be a gospel presence beginning here in Redbud Baptist Church. And we can't just desire those things. Those things have to be actions in our lives. And it's not until we make peace with God that we can make peace with others and be peacemakers, bringers of peace, makers of it. And the reason, if you look at, if you look at your, your relationships at work, look at the relationships with your family, the reason you don't have peace in those relationships is because Christ isn't a controlling influence in your life. The reason you don't have peace with uh, your neighbors is because Christ isn't uh, prevalent in your life. The reason sometimes we don't have peace in this church is because we're not all going for Christ's purpose. And the reason you might not have peace with those of uh, another ethnicity, culture, race, is because Christ isn't that controlling influence in your life. So we need to have Christ first, and our relationship with Him right first, before we can even go out in this community. And that's what this is all about. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would not only give us the desire to be called sons of God, but that you give us the desire to be peacemakers. Because when we are sons of God, it is then that we are makers of peace. That we are distributors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can get caught up in doing service activities and uh, helping those in need and, and all those things, but if those are devoid of the gospel, then you don't desire that. You desire the gospel and those things to be wed together. So I ask that you would impress that upon our hearts. Burden our hearts for the lost who are right outside of our doors. That we would honor you and glorify you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to hymn number 134 and stand as we sing.